Hello everyone, my name is Sedaf Tupas. This is Across the Line with Chris Greatrich and myself. And uh, this is our first episode and we have one of the biggest, most controversial stars in Philippine football on the show, Chris. Stefan Schrock, first up, incredible interview. Um, where do we start really? I mean, so much content in there for today's episode. I think one of the most... Um, engaging individuals in the in the Philippine football world talk openly about growing up in Germany which I think the listeners will really enjoy um, that aspect of his, his background um, his exciting career with the Azcals uh, and also his, his kind of predictions as to how the future for Philippine football will go well definitely uh, something to look out for also his exper- experience in uh, the Bundesliga where he played uh, with some of the biggest and uh, uh, biggest names in, in world football and uh, you know if you want us to continue doing this and uh, you can subscribe on our uh, youtube channel uh, download the episodes on apple podcasts google podcasts and on spotify you all can also like our facebook page and share the videos as we continue bringing you across the line and uh, this should be a fun episode definitely uh, listeners will be looking out for this yeah let us know how, we, how you find the episode Hopefully you enjoy it. Fingers crossed you do. Yeah, today we've got a very special guest, um, a, a player who I've had the pleasure of playing alongside um, and most recently had the misfortune of having to coach with a very difficult and complicated <laughs> character. Um, that is Stefan Schrock. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, I want to start really with a game that really catapulted you into the, the hearts and the minds of of the Philippine football fu- public, which was the, the World Cup qualifier in, in, in Q8. Um, it's a game that is synonymous with a wonderful goal that you scored that um, at the time was potentially going to lead us to the, to the World Cup. It didn't quite end up that way, but I want you to describe that goal because that goal, I think, was a very poignant moment in, in, in Philippine football recent times and, and obviously one that was probably quite relevant for, for your own career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember when uh, it was close to halftime and Chiffy was chasing down the ball on the left side. Uh, referee should have stopped the game probably three <laughs> times. Phil got fouled, Chiffy got fouled, and then somehow we recovered it. And I took a shot, I took a try, and then as soon as the ball left my foot, I knew it will hit the target. And it was the, the crowd was amazing in that day. It was sold out in Rizal. Uh, my mom was under the fans, so which was a very, very proud moment for me, and uh, I hope for the nation as well. Well, I, w- I remember that one because uh, I think um, the day, the night before, um, you know, a few nights before you arrived before the game because you missed, I think you missed the first leg of that game in Kuwait, and then you come and you, here. You and Ali were suspended. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, they got suspended because of the Sri Lanka, a couple of yellow cards against Sri Lanka. And then we were trailing like 3-0 after the first leg, and you know, you uh, I interviewed you that time, and then you, you said you you didn't come here if you thought we didn't have a chance. And uh, what what was your your thought process uh, coming into that match? Just because you know we were trailing with a big three nil deficit. Yeah, I had the same discussion with my club back in Germany. They're like, "Hey, you guys, three nil down. You rather stay and rest because, uh, of course, eighteen hours traveling and then the time difference might be a huge issue for you." If you arrive Tuesday in the Philippines, play Wednesday, and then coming back to Germany would be a little bit too much. But 
I told them, look, I'm, I clearly believe that we can win this game and uh, we can make it in overtime. So I was, uh, that was my approach to the game. And unfortunately, we didn't make it, but I never regret uh, taking this step. That, that would have been one of your first... Um, you played in the home game against Sri Lanka. Um, so that would have been your second game in, in the Philippines. What was your sort of impression of, of football in the Philippines at that time? To be honest, I thought like, why am I playing back in Germany? I saw the <laughs> crowd, I saw the, the fans, I saw the, the enthusiasm around football. So I was thinking I w I'm wasting my best years probably in Germany, playing, uh, playing being one of, of millions playing football. And then here in the Philippines, I remember Ali. The first thing I saw coming off the airport was Ali on a big billboard. Um, I think it was bench doing okay, bench yeah. commercial. <laughs> was he topless? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I, I, like I said, it was never a regret for me or bad feeling back then, even though I was jet lagged for like two weeks arriving back in Germany. It was the best best day in my Philippine Ascals career. What, what was it about the, the whole sort of atmosphere at that time that, that you were able to connect with? Because obviously you played football in front of big crowds before when you played in Germany. What was it about being in the Philippines that, that resonated with you? What was it that made you feel so special? I never expected this. I never expected having a sold out stadium in the Philippines and uh, having that much hype around us. So when I arrived, I, I, I noticed the lobby is full of fans, of, <laughs> of media. Uh, going to the training was always like you have to leave 15 minutes earlier before the bus departures because there's so many people asking for pictures and everything. That's not the way the German approaches the, the, the club teams or the national teams even. Everything is shut down, everything is quiet. And then when you, when you arrive in the Philippines, so much love and so much energy you, you feel from the people. And then it was just amazing. That was really a good time for uh, Philippine football but uh, you know uh, over the past few years it's uh, it's tapered off of it but uh, you know uh, for, 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 for you Shrocky how did it feel you know stepping out and then you know knowing these uh, you know Filipino players and playing with them and uh, you, I understand you, you knew about um, some of the Phil Filipino foreigners coming in but you, you, you played alongside the likes of Shifi Kaligdong and, and, and some of the the legends from uh, from uh, you know the local players, homegrown stars. That was there was always a a, a small gap between the Phil Forens and the, the local players, but I think when I came in, we we had a we could regroup everything a little bit. We had a um, good understanding with everyone. Uh, I remember Etza, the goalkeeper. He was he was the one forcing everybody to sit at the same table. Well, obviously, it's easier to, to speak the language, the, the first language together, which makes me with the Phil Germans and the Phil British guys we had a lot. And then the locals were just sitting alone. And then somehow it got all together. And it did, with them, it was much more fun. It is, you know the local players, they, they, have a, they have a different approach to the game, <laughs> not that professional, not that strict, not that hard-headed, and not that stuck-minded. So it was a lot of fun. And then having Anton back then, uh, Ali with us, it was, it was just amazing. Really, really an outstanding experience. 
I think it's always quite a unique experience with us because obviously with, normally when you have a, a national team, it's obviously made up of people from one nation, right? Um, whereas us, obviously we all have the attachments to the Philippines, but most of us grew up in different countries. How, how did you personally find it in, in a group where we're all connected by the Philippines, but we're all brought up and raised from, from different countries? How did you find that dynamic when you first came to the camp? It was, uh, it's interesting, it's unique. Like you said, um, having six players grew up in Europe, three probably somewhere else from the US, and then the, the local race players, uh, it makes us so special. And having all the love for the country uh, unites us. And then we, we found a way to bring the energy to the pitch. And that's what, what gives us strength uh, especially Rob was always there, Rob Gear with, with his speeches to us. So it was was outstanding for us. And, uh, you, you know, I, I thought the, the, you, the first time you suited up was against Sri Lanka, right? But uh, from what I heard, if, if this story is true, you were here uh, years prior to that uh, trying to, to secure your, your papers to, find, to play for the Philippines even before the, the miracle in Hanoi happened. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. That's true, actually. Um, it must have been like 2009, 2008, somewhere there. Uh, back then, I think Castillejo was the coach, and Martinez was the president of mm -hmm. the federation. So he was, he was trying to help me to get my papers done. But unfortunately, my mom had a German passport only back then, so it was quite difficult to get the papers uh, process here in the Philippines, so we just had to do it first in, in uh, back in Europe or back in Germany, and then we could move on. What what was it that made you want to play for the Philippines? Because uh, we've had this conversation before. I, mean, I remember before the Hong Kong game, Shocky and I had a conversation about whether or not he would take ten caps playing for for the German national team or, or take fifty playing for the Philippines. So, what is it about the Philippines that that is attractive to you, and, and, and why did you decide to try to pursue suiting up for the Azcals? No, it all started up in my, in my childhood, basically. My mom and my dad separated when I was eight, nine years old, so I grew up with my mom. My mom took a lot of sacrifices for me and my sister, and I owe her everything, basically. She, she was the one pushing me to, to go to the trainings, to attend the games, to being good in school. She raised me the Filipino way. And uh, I owe her everything, so that's why I, I always felt more Filipino than, than German, actually, because I never got in, really in touch after the divorcement with my, with my real dad. With, with that, then, I, I know you've been quite outspoken. I think there's been some, some times where some sections of the media have been critical of, of people not singing the national anthem, for, for, for example. And I know you spoke out about that during this most recent um, Asian Cup campaign. How do you feel when, when people sort of question not just yourself but other field foreigners with, with regards to how Filipino that they how Filipino they are? How how does that sort of make you feel? To me, honestly, there was a stupid headline they pulled out from from nowhere, because uh, I grew up in Germany. Mm -hmm. I my first language was Germany. Mm -hmm. My mom spoke Bisaya to me until I was four years old, <laughs> so I. I was having lack of German language. The teacher of my kindergarten or pre-nursery thing, they told us, uh, 
look, mom, <clears throat> better you speak German to him because <laughs> he won't understand. Later on in my career or later on in my youth, it turns out I just don't want to follow the instructions. I would understand what the teachers were saying. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. just in order to don't disrespect the national anthem by having some lines I cannot pronounce properly or something, I uh, don't sing it. But I played for Germany youth le level as well. So I never sing the, the German national anthem either. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's not because I don't know the, the anthem of Germany. It's just because I feel more Filipino than German. Okay. Um, you know, so we're talking about your Filipino roots, right? And then, uh, you know, what was your, your, your childhood, you know, like when you came here uh, with, with your mom? I, I, I think you, had a, you told me you had a couple of visits here. What was, well, where were you? What did you do here uh, during, during that time? I think I, we went here twice only the, after the divorcement. Of course, the, the money was a little bit short. Uh, we basically couldn't even afford to take a bus or something going from A to B in my town. So imagine paying a flight for three people going to the Philippines is quite hard. But whenever I went to the Philippines, uh, we went to Cebu and uh, Mindanao, North Cotabato, where my mom was born and raised. She was in uh, Cebu. So it was, it was uh, overwhelming the way my family approached me. And uh, I will never forget this. this. These moments will I will carry forever because I, n I expected it in a different way. You know, the Germans are quite cold <laughs> towards their own family. But once I arrived, it was like I grew up with them. It was, it was hugs, kisses, taking care of everything. So uh, the family made it really special for me here in the Philippines. It's like a fiesta uh, when, when you came, huh? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, all, all the food and then, and, uh, you know, everyone welcoming you. Yeah, yeah. The, my grandma was uh, alive back then when I first entered the Philippines. I think I was eight, nine, six, six years, somewhere there. Uh, old and was was really amazing to, to feel this family, the, the, the connection. And uh, I owe them for that. Oh, let's move on to, to his career. You, you got a question? Yeah, I'm, I'm always really intrigued to find out a little bit more about the player's background. I'm quite heavily involved with youth football, as you know. And you sort of touched upon it a little bit there with, with growing up in, in Germany. What was it like for you growing up? What was it like for a young Stefan Schrock growing up in, in Germany? Not necessarily just as a footballer, but as a young child. It was uh, after the divorcement, obviously, a little bit tougher than... Uh, then before, my, my dad was a professional boxer and he worked beside that, so we had quite good money. So after my mom uh, divorced to him or they got divorced, uh, he was not willing to support the family anymore. So we depended on social welfare and uh, my mom would work 10, 12 hours a day and I was taking care of my little sister while now taking care I sit her next to the football cage and then let her watch me playing for four <laughs> hours <laughs> and yeah that's I went to we went to a bad place a bad area in my city where I was literally the only one <laughs> with a German name so and there was a lot of Moroccans Turkish people Serbians and uh, all kinds of Africans so it was I was the only white kid basically <laughs> so uh, was tough, but it uh, it was also a good experience for me because once you bring a ball everywhere, 
uh, you speak the same language all of a sudden, and then it was football helped me a lot everywhere. I, I want to. I had no idea that your father was a boxer. Yeah, I that, had no that, idea. That, 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 let, that, let, that. Let's explore that one a little bit more. <laughs> so I didn't. That's, that's had like Manny Pacquiao in there. That's, like, that's, that's why maybe uh, he is he's very fiery and he, he just wants to. Uh, you know, get 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 on it with the other players all the time. Well, right? I'm assuming he gets his fire from his Filipinos. So <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you, but t- tell me more about your father. Then. So he was a he was a boxer. What what weight did he f- um, did he fight at? Uh, the lowest, like sixty kilos yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, he would. He was <laughs> not only a boxer in the ring. He was it at home as well. Yeah. So, uh, that's probably why my mom got separated right. from him. <laughs> uh, but yeah. He was he was always into sports. He brought me also to to boxing trainings and everything. And then one day my mom stepped in and said, "Look, uh, the teacher is calling me every other day because you punch another kid. You have to speak to him first before you punch." And I'm, <laughs> I was like, "Why? Why? Why is that? Like, my dad does the same." Uh, and she said, "Hey, I want you to stop boxing." And so I started playing football. I was playing football always with my friends in the backyard. So then she she said, "Hey, try try it at the club level, and then let's see how you turn out there." Because I saw I saw something um, online. It was DJ K Schweinfurt. Yeah. Is that good pronunciation? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Was that the first club sort of you experienced in, in organized football? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how old would you have been when you started there? I think I was six six years old. Yeah, starting with the first grade, and yeah. then uh, yeah, six years old. Um, it was a small football club in my town. Like my town is not known for for the best football players in in the country. I tell right. you that. Uh, the biggest success was from another club. They played f- for one year second Bundesliga, and then they got relegated to the fourth division year after year. So my club was the highest. I think they played was ninth division in uh, Germany. I'm sorry. Where where's what what's this town? Schweinfurt. Schweinfurt. It would be you won't you won't uh, see it on the map. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> so you started there at six years old. Would you say you were fairly talented as a six-year-old kid going in? Were you one of the better players? I mean, I'm assuming that you had some sort of genetic disposition from from your father's side being um, being a boxer. But did you go in and thought? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm one of the better kids here, or, or were you just another kid just enjoying playing the game of football? Yeah, I, f- I felt I was better than the average. Yeah, uh, playing there. So uh, year after year, someone approached from from bigger clubs to transfer there. Of to me, football was about playing with my friends, seeing my friends on a daily basis, and I never thought of turning professional or, or any any of those. It's so far away. F- uh, anyways, when you're eight, nine years old in Germany, there's so much talent and so much skillful players. So I just played with my friends and then uh, one day I got a call from from a bigger club and my mom said, take a shot. So I, I'm also intrigued to find out how that happened. I'm, I think a lot of people's careers hinge on these sort of sliding doors moments where you don't really realize it at the time, but it's like, wow, my whole life completely changed off the back of that one game or that one person if I didn't, if his mom didn't take the call, what would have happened? Yeah, like, so I'm always interested at that. So y- you were at um, Schweinfurt, and then I'm assuming this is when Greuter came in yeah. and, and tried to. So how old were you when, when they made the initial approach? I was just 13 years old. So yeah. um, I had a lot of bad influence, uh, which comes with the area you live. So I, I used to hang out with much older people, right. like 17 
18, 19 years old mm -hmm. already. They get in touch with drugs. They get in touch with gangs. And I was one of the better football players in the cage in the backyard. So they used to well, let me play with them, right, basically. Right. Uh, so I got in touch with, with uh, bad habits. Um, mm -hmm. I was smoking weed at a young age. I was helping out selling, selling uh, grass and marijuana to, to people in the streets or in the school. So I was about to stop football, playing football, but besides the club duties I had, I was called up for the best, uh, let's say in the province, the best 20 players in their age group. Like selection? Yeah. yeah. Kind of like, and they were forming the under 16 for the German national team. So I was the only one playing for a shit club, having not enough training, but still I was selected to them. And the coach of that, he went to a second Bundesliga club to take care of the youth academy. So he called me and said, look what you're going to do next season. You're outstanding player. Well, you, you need to take the next step. I was like, listen, coach, thank you, thank you for that. But I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm, I'm dealing with my friends, so I don't want to play football anymore. So he called my mom and my mom had fixed my football bag, shin guards, everything you need, football cleats. And the coach went there, picked up the stuff, just approached me after school and ritually in front of the door, uh, in front of the school, opens the door and say, look, I talked to your mom. You have to go to the trial. I was like, no, 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 I, I don't play football anymore. He said, no, no, give it a shot. I went there. The coaches liked what they saw. saw. So it's a one hour drive. So I'm begging him, please don't <laughs> let me do this. I don't want to <laughs> do this. I don't want to play football yeah. anymore. I'm done. And I stepped out, I played, and then the next morning I would sign a four years contract at the Youth Academy for, for the second Bundesliga club. And from there on, I have to be <laughs> grateful, more than grateful and thankful to, to the person. Where, where do you think you would have en ended up if you had continued going down that path? Because that's a, that's a very slippery slope. Yeah. You know, once people start to go down that track, it's very hard to recover. So. If I'm going to play devil's advocate here, where, where do you think that would have taken you if you'd have continued on that path? I'm not, not so sure, but I can tell you my friends I used to hang out with, mm -hmm. they are now mid-30s, 36, 37, somewhere there. Mm -hmm. They still have it, live at the mom's place. They still do the same things they used to do, being saying like being with drugs or dealing with drugs, just live for the Friday nights and Saturday nights, basically being uh, in the casino, gambling, yeah. doing kids stuff, you know? And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful that my path went the other way because football basically saved, saved my life. It's an incredible story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I haven't heard about the boxer and then the, the friends, your yeah. friends. Uh, do, do you, do you, do you see, get to see them there? Once in a while. Uh, yeah, when, <laughs> whenever I'm back in the hometown in Germany, I, I'm still in touch with them. And <laughs> they all be like, hey, it could have been me, Shrucky. You know that. <laughs> like, Everyone yeah, could have been a footballer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, luckily it was me, really. Yeah. Um, uh, like I said, they don't, they don't live for the future. They just basically live for day to day. Uh, so, so going to, to Firth now and then... You know, the, the, your career was, was, was picking up and then the uh, you know, Philippines learned about you. And then, uh, you know, making your debut here in, in the Philippines and uh, eventually moving up uh, and taking 
uh, first with you in the in the Bundesliga, that promotion. How was that uh, promotion battle like? Uh, what was it like? You know, week in week out, particularly in the last few days, few weeks of the season, where you know you had the chance, and then you know the the results. Like it, each game felt like you know uh, a do or die game. Yeah, we have a uh, my club. Fürth has a long history in trying to promote to the Bundesliga. So with the second smallest budget year by year, uh, they still were able to manage to have a good team. Um, unfortunately, the last six game days of the season, we always would lose lose to l really shit teams, really uh, struggling teams, and uh, avoiding us making the promotion. But in that year when we moved or when we promoted to the Bundesliga, uh, everything was was just made for us. Uh, everything fell in its place. And the do or die games became like so easy because we had that belief, that strong belief that we can make it, that we will go as champions to the Bundesliga. And we made it. Luckily, we made it. There were here and there were some struggles. But yeah, it was a, was a really, really great time in my career. But after the promotion, you moved to another club, right? You, you didn't play for them in the Bundesliga. You actually played for another club. I, I wanted to stay in the club. Well, um, the, the long-term contract wasn't in the mind of the football club I played for. So I moved to Hoffenheim, which is uh, funded by a multi-billionaire uh, in, in uh, the software industry. Mm -hmm. So he was willing to give a long-term contract and a really good wage besides that. So I moved there and... Uh, had a one season there and then one season in Frankfurt. That was obviously those two years where you were at Eintracht Frankfurt and Hoffenheim were very different to the previous ones that you'd experienced at, at Greuther. I mean, you played close to 200 league games for, for, for Greuther and then that next two seasons were, were a little bit stop-start for you. What, what was the, the reason, do you think, behind those two years being a little bit difficult for you? The year I went to Hoffenheim, we, the club called out uh, Europa League or Champions League as a minimum to reach for the season. So we invested a hell of a lot of money to get all them players. I think I was one of 14 signings in this summer. That's a lot. And we had well, first game, uh, first training day, we had 30, 33 field players plus four goalkeepers. All of them national team players. I'm not saying this is not like Philippine football <laughs> national team players I'm talking about. Ghana, Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, all those French. We had, we had. had uh, Vidal Bizovic would have been there at the time. No, no, he left in he the just summer gone. when I signed. Okay, yeah. Van de Vaart was there. No, no, it was Brafight, for example. Yeah. He played the World Cup final yeah. just weeks ago or weeks earlier before he signed. Or Ryan Babel. Oh, Ryan Babel. And, and all those yeah. big names. The second goalkeeper of Germany. He went to us. He turned down Real Madrid and signed at Hoffenheim. Mm -hmm. So. We had a lot of ambitions and still when I'm looking back, people would say hey, you, you did not really play much games, but even make it in the 18th squad was like, you know, the list hangs out the day before the game, who is in the squad, who is not. And having another 14 players not selected and I was the one jumping in the 18 man squad was already a big deal for me. Obviously, I wanted to play more. I had I wanted to have more play time, but making it in the 18-man rosa, like, 
30 times of 34 was already a big deal. But uh, you played uh, uh, the right back position that time, yeah. right? And uh, and I now or in the Ascals where you play on a more attacking uh, side. What 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 was that like? You know, playing uh, in the Bundesliga, playing that position, and you're going up against really some of the greatest players in the world, especially in that position that you have on, on that team. Look, whenever I got the chance to play on the weekend, for me, the only goal, like, obviously, when you play Munich, Dortmund, and Leverkusen, all of a sudden, all the, all the wingbacks get injured, sick, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or having a fifth yellow card and being suspended. So uh, it was always my turn. And on Saturday morning, bef right before the game, I always prayed, please, I don't want to be on YouTube the other day getting... <laughs> smashed or uh, <laughs> getting nutmeg <laughs> yeah, by by one of the best players of the world but i did actually pretty good um those games against munich leverkusen dortmund helped me a lot uh, gave me a lot of confidence and i learned a lot and uh not getting <laughs> smashed by by the big guys is it's a it's a big win for me and i i learned a lot yeah i, I remember playing uh you playing against uh uh, Ribery and Alaba yeah. on one side. What was that like? You know, playing against these two, probably the that time, probably the best yeah. left-sided combination. combination yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know, the funny thing is, there's after five game games, there was a stats all over Europe saying uh, who won the most battle and who went in the most battles. I only played two out of five games, and I was uh, uh, ranked at third. After Ramos and after Ashley Cole. <laughs> right, right, really, yeah. uh, so <laughs> you can imagine that uh, I was quite busy on my side um, <laughs> being playing against Royce. Aubameyang was there in Dortmund and Ribéry, as you mentioned, and I and Robin on the other side. So it's it's not so much fun, but it was a good experience. That was probably the strongest period of, of German domestic football as well at that time. I mean, the Dortmund sides under Klopp. Um, the Bayern Munich sides. I mean, they, they were strong, strong teams at that time, and, and probably the strongest league in, in in Europe, arguably. Maybe Premier League might might have their say, but I would say the, the German league was particularly strong. Playing at that level, week in, week out. How, how did you personally find it? Did you feel like I'm a little bit out of my depth here, or did you think, you know what, this is the level that I belong at? Yeah, I always felt I belong there. I um, I worked hard in that time on me and. Uh, when you play in the Bundesliga in such a big clubs in in such a good atmosphere, it's not always the guy playing who who is in better form or in better shape. Uh, there's when I remember in Hoffenheim, the guy who played right back, he's supposed to sign at Turin, Juventus Turin. Mm -hmm. So it was the question if they get him summer in the summer break or in the winter break. So the, the transfer fee they were asking for my club was too high to afford for Turin in this summer. So they were like, okay, in winter, a little bit less, and then you can get, get him. He was also in the 25 squad uh, in, for Germany. So he was one of the most talented and uh, skillful players, right backs, Andy Beck, Andreas Beck. Oh, yeah. So they saw him as a crown prince for mm -hmm. Philipp Lahm. So that's, uh, that's the issues you deal with. And then when I went to Frankfurt, they saw the coach saw, saw me on two different positions as a left winger or as a right back. So on the left wing, it's Takashi Inui. He's <laughs> having 120 <laughs> cup games yeah. by, back then uh, for Japan already. 
and obviously the Japanese bring a lot of fans, bring a lot of money for the club. If this, if he starts, mm-hmm. they're gonna sell the right. And uh, he did, he did really outstanding. So I could have probably get more playing time if the coach would have placed me at right back. Uh, back then it was Sebastian Jung, but he had an immense transfer fee clause in his contract, so they want to sell him after this year. And obviously me, I was just a little little add-on uh, fighting with the big guys, with the big names. But he was there for 17 years at the club and they wanted mm-hmm. to sell him. So unless it was Dortmund, Munich or Leverkusen, I wouldn't get much playing time. Uh, I think you were um, on that, that season at Frankfurt. That was a long one for you. You, you played in the Europa League. Um, yeah. and, uh, 2014 was such a long year for you, that 2013-2014 season. And, uh, you know... What what's what's it like, you know, playing a, an extended season and then showing up for a national team? Because that is really, you know, world class players. That's really the type of season that they have, and you know, most players here don't don't really enjoy that type of season, experience that type of season. It was it was rough. It was at times it was really rough because we played the Europa League. We made it to the semi final in the uh, cup in Germany. So. It's about additional 16 to 18 games plus a national team. So uh, I mostly spent my time either in the bus or in the plane or in a hotel. Uh, then you go to game to game. You have like Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday for 40 weeks in a year. That's a lot. And then afterwards, it was uh, Maldives. We played the Challenge Cup with the Ascals. So we played also every three days, every yeah. two g- days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. was like plus really a long season. Plus the plus boat, <laughs> plus the boat travel. Which <laughs> will come on to later, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, it was a long, long year, really long year, and I was quite tired in the in the short break w- I had after after the Maldives. Oh, yeah. D- does it feel like you know the, uh, the burnout? You know, how how do you deal with the burnout uh, of of uh, of a long season? How do you how do you refresh? How do you get your juices back it's all it all starts with the head you know mentally you you are so tired of traveling playing traveling playing and uh, the body will just jump in you know then here and there you get a small muscle injury or being sick for quite some days or something like that and uh, but you have to manage your your mentality and then once you see the reward in the end of the month you will go again Following that season, you returned to Greuter, correct? Yeah. Um, why the decision to return to your home hometown team? I guess you could say. Uh, I was actually I was about to sign in China. Mm. Uh, there's a, I can tell the number. There was a million dollar contract on the line, net. So it was just for one year, and my family probably would have forever money. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned earlier, I. I was just traveling, I was playing. I never see my kids, I never see my wife. I barely knew what's going on at home. So I bought myself a little bit time saying, look, I'm having this hamstring injury before I go to the medical test in China. And this was the, the one that you sustained in the Maldives, yeah. playing with the national team. Exactly. Yeah. So I said, hey, I need some days off to recover from the injury before I go to the medical test. And then I was preparing my wife and my family saying, hey, look, I'm going for one year to China. I Mm -hmm. most likely know you guys won't join, but this can secure the family's future for quite a bit. So, and then my old club approached me. They said like, Shroki, look, we can 
get you back. We can give you a long-term contract, settle in Germany. You get to see your kid. You get to spend time with the family. And at the same time, you can create something or you can work on your future after football. So to me, this sounds, uh, it sounded really good seeing my family on a daily basis, seeing my kids growing up. And I signed the, the deal. Wow. In exchange for a million bucks. Yeah. That's, well, we're all, we all do it for the family. But of course, you know, the, the, you know when, you're, when you have kids, it's different. And you have family. You, up to now, being 14, 15 years as a professional, I still don't know what, is, what has more value, the money or spending time with the family. So I try always to get a balance on it. And uh, if you have to give up a little bit of money for that, then you have to do it. That's incredible. Uh, not, many, not many people would do that. You know, I think you need to have a very strong sense of self to make those sorts of decisions. And, and, and I think footballers often get a bad rap for always taking the money. So, you know, the fact that you, you turn down a considerable amount of money in favor of being able to spend more time yeah. with your family is, is very commendable. So something that not many people would have, would have done in, 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 in a similar set of circumstances. So, yeah, you have to. I, I was grateful for the offer from China. Um, because I know not many people get get the chance to play for that big money, mm -hmm. and they're obviously everybody. Once you start being a professional, everybody's looking for the money. That's you have a ten years of time, in average, to get money as much as possible and then retire or look go on from there. Mm -hmm. So, but I also know that every day the kid is changing. Like mm. I was, my son turned seven this year, for example. I only attended three birthdays, you know, this is for me. He probably does not really recognize it, but I do. I know it. And then uh, that's heartbreaking for me. So I try to balance out money and time with the family. Well, Diaz was around uh, around uh, what age when you decided on that uh, China uh, offer? I was about to turn three. Ooh, that's a very exciting time. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I I missed out so many first moments. You know, there's no second chance for a, for a first thing from your child. Like the first tooth grew or <laughs> I practiced for him for the longest time to walk by himself. And then I left for a Europa, like, Europa League game. And my wife called me like 15 minutes later <laughs> saying, hey, guess what, your son running around the living room. I was like, oh, well, great. I was trying it hard for the last six weeks, but good, good thing he started running by himself <laughs> when I'm not around. <laughs> so these things make me, make me sad. Um, I understand that we have a privileged life and we have an outstanding uh, sort of level of life, being able to have only two hours or three hours work a day and getting this much amount of money. But at the same time, I want to be a dad as well because you can buy everything but not time with your kid yeah and do you, do you think a lot of that also is is, is partly the, the experience that you had as a child when you grew up yeah especially that so for me uh when i was seven eight years old and my mom got separated i i only knew my mom mm. i only knew she's hard working and whenever she can make some minutes make some times for us over the weekend she would she would move hell on earth to to give us a good time like uh, we would eat the last six, seven days of the month. We would eat tuna from a can or with toasted bread. I, I back then I did not understand. It was we have no money. 
it was because of we had no money. I wouldn't understand. I thought like, oh, she thought she's this is my favorite food. I would eat this. Or I know my mom would sacrifice a lot for buying me new cleats. Like she would do an installment for what? 2,500 pesos. She would pay it over one year just to make it happen that I have uh, a new pair of football shoes. So, and I know she, she wanted to have more time with me or with my sister, but she was not able to combine those things, money and the time. So I try always to be uh, having both, giving my kids everything they want and having uh, a proper dad at home. So for, for everyone's information, uh, Shraki has two kids. Yeah. Uh, seven and uh, Manila is... Uh, two. 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 Yeah. I'm, I'm always quite interested with this because I, I'm a father as well. Um, yeah. Also have two, two boys. Partly, I mean, one of the things that you, I mean, you used to have self-made on your on your boots. It was one of the things, and I think you were very, you were, and you are very proud of the fact that you've 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 earned everything that you've got, which is, you know, m judging by what you've been saying in, in in this meeting, that a lot of it's probably down to your background and, and your upbringing, especially from from your from your mother. As a father, do you get scared that because your mother didn't give you everything and you had to fight and scrap for it? That now, as a father, if you give them everything, they're going to end up being spoiled a, a little spoiled or a little soft. You know, I know we're going a yeah. little bit off topic yeah. here, but is that? I think we're on, on quite an interesting sort of side note here as a father, because I know you're a passionate and you father, and, and you want to be there for your kids. Are you are you sometimes a little bit nervous that you're going to end up having spoiled kids? Because you're a very driven individual. Like I know you quite well, and you're very driven. You're very single-minded in, in what you want to achieve. Are you a little bit nervous that that those same um, that same sort of driven personality will not be instilled in your kids? Or are you seeing it now that no, actually they are, they are very driven individuals, even at a young age? Yeah, <laughs> you're right on both ends. Basically, yeah. uh, whatever toy or whatever I bring home is not just for the kids, it's also for me. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's kinda> like, <laughs> but yeah, I see it with the older, especially. He's now six, turning seven in August, and then he, he's just asking for whatever, and he gets it, and yeah. he has no idea where it comes from or what you have to sacrifice for making this possible. I always try to make him understand, look, you have a really privileged life. There's not much people like, for example, he's t going to school now. He's mm -hmm. having a driver. Mm -hmm. He's having yeah. a helper helping him with everything. I would run to the school like five kilometers away in the, in the city, like rain, snow, windy or whatever my mom wouldn't give a <laughs> shit and we would have no money to jump on the bus and go like okay make it as convenient as possible for the little shrocky <laughs> but he has it and i try to make him understand look not everyone is growing up like you not everyone has these opportunities that you got and he he's probably too young to understand mm. now but later on he will and i hope he will find that fire that eager to, to make something out of him without using dad's money or dad's fortune for, for yeah. achieving something. Yeah. It's, it's different, you know, you, especially here in the Philippines, like football, to me, football was a door opener. It was like the only way out of my town. Like friends in Germany from me in my town think they made it because they worked three shifts in a factory, yeah. which is a, a really good job, a good benefit from it. But... What, to be honest, what is it like getting, uh, having a social life 
for two weeks of the month because yeah. you work first shift, second shift, and then the third shift you you sleep all all night or you sleep all day, right. don't see your kids or something. So for them, it's they made it somehow. But for me, I make it or I made it because because of football and football in Germany is it's like a, you make it making money out of it having a good life having privilege a privileged life mm-hmm. here in the philippines it's kind of like a rich sport to me yeah. you have to yeah. rent out a pitch yeah. you have to you have to pay a tuition fee to be in an, in an academy or something like that so i wish one day it will change that filipinos think if i play football and can earn what 200,000 pesos a month uh, i can provide for my family and uh, giving them a good life, giving back to them. But hopefully it will turn that way for them. Is, is that one of the reasons why you decided to, to move to the Philippines? I'm sort of trying to segue into this, yeah. into like your, your move to Ceres. Was, was, was that part of the reason why you came here? Like one, obviously being able to spend more time with your family. And two, did you see it as, in you coming back to the Philippines, did you see it as a way to say to kids, look, you know, I'm, I'm playing in the highest level of European football here, but I want to come here to show you that this is the level that you need to aspire to. And, and, and every young footballer should be looking up to people like yourself, like a few young husband, James Young husband or whoever, and, and give them the opportunity to see you play. So there's two questions in that. But, yeah, exactly. um, is that one of the reasons why you decided to move here? Yeah, because I grew up for German conditions, I grew up poor. My mom was depending on social welfare for five, five years, which is like, I don't know, 20,000 pesos a month, which would be okay here in the Philippines to survive, but in Germany, you can you can't live for two weeks with with twenty thousand pesos, so I hope people will get inspired one day and see in football that you can have a way out, out of being in a call center or working for, I don't know, being a nurse. Or I'm not shitting on these jobs, really not. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, once you have a kid, he's interested in football, push him, push him, bring him to trainings. Let him watch football games. Let bring him a tablet. Let him watch Neymar, YouTube things, whatever. Just because you can have a good life for your family afterwards. My Tita, uh, she her youngest, plays for Malaya Academy. She asked me, like, is it worth it? Because she lives in Bulacan. She travels three <laughs> hours one way to bring Joseph to the training, and I'm telling her. Look, Tita, is it enough if he earns one day 17000 a month or 50000 a month? She was like, ah, oh, that would be outstanding. That would be incredible <laughs> if he gets that much money, that much out of football. So I'm saying, bring him to sport. Bring him there. He learns. Not only he learns for life, respecting. Respect the teammates. Respect following ordering. Follow orders, mm. which is huge. Football gives you so much gives you so much not only in terms of money it gives you a family it gives you friends it gives you a, a, a form of security and it will help you along the way in life uh, you talk about the the move from uh, Firth to, to Sarah's moving here um, the decision uh, the thought process behind that decision I I got told uh, in Germany that they don't plan with me anymore so even though I have another three and a half years more contract, mm. they said, "Look, you're one of the hi- or you the highest paid player in the club. We're not happy with your performance in the last six months. You have to leave." And they, 
the cut is just like that. So they told me over Christmas, when we go training camp, you won't be part of it. We move you to the second team, look for another club. So uh, I was speaking to my wife, looking for decisions or for, for options, what we can do. And she said, um, go, go to Asia. You have an ASEAN passport. Look what is good for you there. So I spoke to Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, also to the Emirates, like some Dubai and stuff. And then Martin Stoeble called me. I was like, Shroki, I read the news, you're out. I was like, yeah. He said, go on loan to Saris. <laughs> and I was literally <laughs> laughing at him. I was like, bro, <laughs> there's a different level we're talking about. Like, he said, no, man, we go, we play the AFC Cup for the f very first time. Uh, the league is not that good yet, but we, we will get there. And it's anyway, it's just for four months. Get on loan. Ask uh, your club how much salary they can give you for this time, and then go back to Germany and start all over again. Mm -hmm. So I was think I was talking to my wife. She said, "Okay, <laughs> you know Martin, you know Manu Ott, you know Kev uh, Ingresso was there already, and then uh, also Patrick Reichel. Yeah. So Roland? a lot of German. Roland there. Roland, Roland? not yet, not, not yet. yet. So Carly was already already Carly, there. Yeah. yeah, a lot of uh, Ascal players yeah, yeah, was yeah. placed at Ceres. So. I was thinking, oh, it's just for three months. Why not? And then I went, I moved here to the Philippines and I enjoyed it a lot. I liked it a lot. The owner obviously made it very easy for me. My teammates, uh, not only the Phil Germans, also the, the local ones, they uh, welcomed me with open arms. They showed me around, they mm -hmm. teach me everything. Mm -hmm. So I was very grateful. And then from there on, I extended my contract for another six months. And then I moved back to Germany. And then I was like, after three or four weeks, I missed the Philippines already. <laughs> <laughs> so after my wife gave birth, we moved back to the Philippines. That was uh, two, 2017, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And you came back for that AFC Cup game and then... Uh, for the final, yeah. For the uh, final, for yeah. The final, and then you won the final. Like, yeah. And that was a very, very great time for... Uh, for uh, we, we transitioned. You, you, you guys play in Bacolod all the time. Um, yeah, I, I grew up there, so you know I pretty much know what's it, what it what's it like. But but for you, you know, being being someone who who came from another you know another city, another country, and then moving there for quite a while, and then you know taking in the 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 you know the life there, uh, what what's it like for you? Is it too slow for you, or you know? Uh, or you you adjust yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Germans are well known for being overcorrect in time in, in terms of uh, when the departure is like no one will be show up let's say five is departure for training no one will enter the bus at five everybody is ready to go 10 minutes before already so in the, in the Philippines it's a little bit the different approach to that which I like because uh, you don't stress yourself out for details you know you you will just enjoy whatever you have you be appreciative to, to those things surrounding you and that's what you get teach here. And uh, I, I liked it from day one, regardless on uh, how not professional things working here. I liked it really from day one, and that's why I decided to stay here. Uh, so talk about your time at Ceres. You, you, there's, a, there's a fans, there's an ultras group. Uh, you play in Panad, uh, packed crowds. What's it like with, with, with the club and also, you know, you know, you you talk about the owner dealing with the owner who's who's been very very uh, 
you know, you talked about this. You're very friendly to you, like a father figure. Yeah. Uh, ever since day one, uh, it's not usual in back in Europe to be in touch with the club owner or the club president. Uh, the second day I arrived in Bacolod, he invited me to the office. So uh, we had a nice chat and I thought, okay, this is it. So for the next <laughs> nine months, I won't be in touch with him anymore. Uh, but it was not that way. He invited all the teammates um, to dinners, to having coffee, to, to talk about the games, the upcoming games. He was always basically in and around the team. So it was great to see someone that wealthy as him being that humble and being like a, and really like a dad to us. Like whatever problem, whatever concern you have, you can approach him and he will looking for a solution. You have to understand he's having how, what, 17, 18,000 employees under his company and plus another hundred from the clubs and having an open ear for each and every one is not, it's not usual. So we we're really grateful for his approach to the club and to the players. One of the reasons you stayed as well? Of uh, course, of course. He he made it, uh, he made life so easy for you. You know, he will look after you. He will call you up randomly and say, look, is everything all right with the team? Do you need something? Is the family all right? Can I help you with, uh, my son goes to school now. He was like for the longest time trying to give me a good slot at the schools here in Manila. So he's really helpful in, in every way, not only in football. Well, obviously, Sarah's have been extremely successful in the past three years in particular, not only on the domestic level, but in, in regional competition. Um, I'm intrigued as to find out what the secret sauce is because I've played against your team as a player. I've obviously coached against your teams and we've had many battles on the field. But what is it, do you think, about, other than the fact that you've got outstanding players, but there seems to be a real togetherness with that Ceres group. What, what, what is it about that, that group that's enabled them to be so successful in, in recent years? I think the coach plays a big role mm -hmm. in our club. Um, Riso Vidakovic is like, uh, he don't like being someone stepping out of the line. He is always, uh, always trying to point out that we are good individuals, but if we play 11 v 11, you can be as good as you want. You need the other 10 as well. So he's having a good, uh, good moments with us, teaching us while doing it, that we having a strong bonding together. He would treat us for Starbucks, talk about random things. Like he will, he wants us to be brothers. He wants us to know what is going on in the life of the others. It's not like we are approaching the training. Play and then go home and no one knows shit about the other person it's not like that you talk about family you talk about friends you talk about girlfriends what's going on in in your regular day uh, basis so he is really good in in that terms and of course forming Ceres as a good club and team now oh, that 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 takes a lot of you know the, the continuity of Ceres has also helped you guys uh, you know you managed to keep your core despite you know a lot of uh, players getting a lot of offers I'm pretty sure you know a lot of your players get offers of overseas but somehow you've managed to keep this you know four or five players in there uh, the spine of the team yeah yeah this this is a result of the work between the owner and the, the, the coach he will tell him look we need those players with the success of course the players get more attractive to other leagues like Thailand Malaysia and Indonesia or something 
and uh, he's able to to spend on the team not only in terms of money so also in terms of um, let's say like I mentioned earlier for school stuff he will help you out he makes it so much easier the less problems you bring on the pitch the better you perform it's that simple and the owner of Ceres and the, the coach they know this and they they make it make it happen that you have less issues besides football a mm. uh, highlight of Ceres uh, so so far has been that uh, win in the AFC Champions League uh, reaching that you know final preliminary stage game um, you talk about can you talk about that that upset in Australia and then the next game in uh, in Tianjin where you you know probably went up against uh, the some of the, the 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 some of the best teams in Asia in uh, in Tianjin Kuanjian you had uh, Alexander Pato and Anthony Modest there yeah and yeah, uh, Axel Witzel, Witzel as well yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. he just went back to Germany and almost won the title yeah so yeah we we went to Australia and to be honest no one was really believing it that we will beat the Australian club the Brisbane 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 Roar yeah and uh, we just basically wanted to have a good game, um, taking as much experience out of this game as we can and uh, try to, to be a little bit annoying to them. Mm-hmm. That, w- that was our approach. But the night before the game, coach went to us in Australia and said, hey, look, I've seen them playing. I see you guys playing. Why, why can't we beat them? Tell me. He's asking me. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> he said, how many legs do your opponent has? probably two, <laughs> same as me. <laughs> it's like, it's that simple. They have two arms, two legs, you can beat him. So we went there, we beat them, and then we we had no visas prepared for China. <laughs> <laughs> That's how unexpected that really win was. Really that much, yeah. So we just were able to get visas the night before, so we literally flew the whole night to China, and then by minus 11 degrees, we played them, and we did pretty well. We, we bought 2-0, two times Modesto he scored but just introducing a club which is only seven years old to the to the highest stage in Asia is already it's unbelievable to make it to the third round uh, that was a actually you had a couple of good chances before they scored right yeah yeah, yeah we do we we did have uh, me myself I uh, placed one shot uh, then uh, also BMW had two opportunities and then yeah Modesto stroke uh, strike and uh, we we couldn't. We weren't able to to bring in another ten percent. Obviously, we just arrived the night or the morning at the game day. How 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 big is the gap? You think? Uh, probably on 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 generally speaking, like you play optimum level for Ceres and uh, and and they play you know at the optimum level. Uh, how, how how big is that gap between you know probably the best team and in in, in the Philippines and. Uh, against the best in Asia? i tell you what, Ceres is spending an outstanding amount for football to have the best players in the country secured playing for Ceres. Anthony Modest makes in a week more money than the whole Philippine football will spend in the last 10 years. That's how big the difference is on money. But actually, when you've been on the pitch making it there, it's not that big anymore. Of course, they have a they have a different approach to to the game. They have a proper club, a proper league, um, a, a federation backing them or or looking after them. Then the whole nation is watching those games. It's different than to the Philippines, but 
single by single you can get even or equal to the to the to the team mm. I, I want to sort of change gears a little bit now because you're talking about the best teams in Asia at club level I want to talk a little bit about the best national teams at Asian level because you played in the Asian Cup early on this year with the, with the national team you were the captain of the side how did you find that that whole experience um, pitting your wits against the, the, the best countries in, in Asia yeah uh, I think we for in terms of performance we did not that bad mm -hmm. uh, here and there if we would have got a different a preparation yeah. preparation wise we lack we have to point this out because the teams were preparing like three weeks four weeks ahead of this tournament and uh, we just arrived, help me out, like six days before the game. We, we, no. we arrived we New together. Year's Eve, correct? Yeah, but you, were, you guys were in Qatar. Qatar. Incomplete, though. Yeah, yeah. so uh, every other day someone came or, or did not arrive or however. <laughs> Is he coming? Is he coming? Yeah, so Are you really sure? I uh, think uh, one player, Patrick Strauss, came in like around the time that I arrived, like two days before yeah. the match. Yeah. Uh, in terms of preparation, we lack. And... Uh, if we um, can make improve this, improve this only a little bit, I promise you the Philippines are competitive to the best nations in wow. in Asia. We have the we have quality players. We have a bunch of quality youth players. We have coaches. Basically, we have everything. What we don't have is a proper preparation for it. Someone who is having the money and the time to watch after the boys. Because what we have here is might be the golden generation for Philippines football. And if we don't achieve anything, like we did achieve something. We, we went to the Asian Cup for the first time. We uh, were competitive over three games. But to make the next step, we need someone with a vision. We need someone like, just not just because he's here, we need someone like Chris who can combine growing up in Europe, having this preparation side on him, and being in the last nine, ten years in the Philippines, mm. knowing how the system works and how people approach football. So if you can combine this, we can have a really, really good football team. We've had this conversation, actually. We, in our last training camp, um, we had an early morning flight, so Shoki and I were waiting in line, and we spoke for about 30 minutes about... Um, you know how we would do things differently if 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 we had a you know a magic wand and we were able to, yeah. you know, paint the picture of Philippine football as as we imagined it. What 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 would you do if if you were able to take that magic wand or have a genie or whatever and, and have three wishes? Like what what would you have the Philippine Football Federation or if you were in charge of it? What what would you how would you change the landscape of football as we know it right now with the with the Philippine national team? You have to start first with the grassroots as well. Obviously, uh, the the kids here growing up different than back in Europe. Uh, basketball is all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like you see basketball literally 24 hours a day in, in TV. So you never get in touch with football on TV, really, if you don't want to stay awake until 2.30 <laughs> and watch the Champions League qualifiers yeah. or something like that, you know? So if we change this a little bit and then plus making football not a rich sport, like you have to pay for everything like like i mentioned earlier you have to pay rent the pitch you have to rent these you have to buy that you have to pay a tuition fee mm -hmm. you have to do all those things which is not the usual case 
And then with the national team, especially if we can bring in people like we know things ahead. It's not like uh, uh, on Monday, the FIFA will call and say, hey, Tuesday morning, you guys have a game or Tuesday afternoon, you guys have a game. It's not like that. We have a FIFA schedule for the whole year and we would knew clubs can release the players. So let's say June 15 and uh, June 25 is the game. Then please make it happen that the flights are arranged by that by that time the hotels are prepared the smallest things like football balls and kids are prepared that the club are informed stuff stuff like that would help Im immense immediately you would see there's a different approach because what we have right now is come bringing people in from all over the world mm -hmm. basically two days before the game one day before the game four days coach we can have the best coach in the world if we have only 11 players at the starting day at the camp what can he do what can he do nothing you can bring in cristiano ronaldo make him mm -hmm. a filipino he could not perform under this circumstances we're facing right now so if we just do it not outstanding i'm not asking for um, bring us in first first class on the <laughs> plane or have us staying in the luxury hotels or stuff like that just basic things Make sure everybody's on time. Get the players paid for their efforts. The staff team paid for their efforts. Make them make sure they're feeling all right. Not outstanding good, just all right would be enough. And where do you think that would take us? Because obviously we've seen it up close now. You know, in your mind, you might see you put these countries, South Korea, Japan, on a pedestal yeah. and think that they're they're untouchable, but. We, we saw them up close and personal. Like, if we were able to bridge that gap with some of those logistics things, with some of the organizational stuff, we, how, how close, how far away do you think we, we are from, from those types of nations? If we have a proper preparation, mm. we're not far. Yeah. I think we can be equal yeah. because the players we have are good enough to compete with them. They're just facing headaches beside football. That's it the travel, the, the organization, if we can place these things in order for, for the team, we can compete. South Korea, we can yeah. beat Australia, we can uh, having good games against Saudi or, or the recent mm. winner of the Asian Cup, Qatar. Qatar we, yeah. can just, we can just be equal with them. Or right now, I, right now, if I draw the worst case, we go to the Asian Cup. Like the result we had at the Asian Cup, despite what happened before, is, is already a, a huge, yeah. a huge result. Nobody will notice because we, we lost three times and uh, we bow out in the group stage, but people don't understand. We had players coming in three days before the game. This is not a proper preparation. You cannot perform. This is not possible. Like I said, bring in Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi. He will not perform on, a, on this type of preparation. Well, you know. With that, even with that preparation, you, it was nil-nil against Korea for almost uh, seventy know, odd minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah for um, uh, more than an hour. Yeah. You you have to give credits to the coaches like uh, Ericsson was back then, and then Scott Cooper, Chris, they've tried to squeeze in what whatever they have in mind for fourteen days in just three days because the last person or the last two players arrived three days before the game, and then you have to squeeze in everything. All the information, all the hard work, all the research they did, they stamp on 
the preparation stems on the hard work of the team. And this is not fair. Wow, very revealing on that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but of course, you know, we know what's going on behind the scenes. But, you know, right now, um, we still have, uh, you know, the World Cup qualifiers coming up in the next cycle. Um, are we going to be seeing you again? Because um, you, you, jo- I, I, you joined the camp in uh, China last time, but previously in the Asian Cup, after you scored, you, you hinted at, you know, probably, you know, you know, not doing the national team thing anymore and uh, probably coming out, uh, retiring from the national team. Yeah, this, I, I play with a thought to be honest, because I wanna, <laughs> I wanna have time with the family and not dealing with those flight issues, with those allowance issues, with those simple things, which is basic for football. I don't want to deal with these things, but this is also a big plus what the team has. Not only me, so also Chris, also the guys who played back then and the guys who are recently in national team, they have this much love for the country and for the people and for the real for their roots, that they're willing to face these circumstances and play for the nation still up to now. And I'm one of them. I really love to play for the national team. There's no better, no greater feeling for you, no bigger honor than representing your country. And that's what made me stay another another World Cup qualifiers to play for the national team. Because uh, I tell you, do one thing what we did in the camps with the Ascots, with the German national team, and they're all Germans. No one will show up anymore. No one. None of them. The Brazilians, the, the Argentinians, are, are Japanese. If they have to face this adversity, what we have to face, they will not show up. They, of course, they have a, a 180 top-level players. They can just easily replace them. But do we have them? Do we have a pool of 180 players with that skill with that uh, talent that much talent don't we don't what we have is the love for the country the love for the flag and that's why we go on and on and on and we we have to we learned it from from rob from ali gear from from uh, chris from simon from neil from from all of those players back year 10 years ago they waved the path for us basically and they showed us how you have to be how you have to approach the Philippine national teams and that's why we all still play what's the future hold for you now then not just in terms of the national teams I think you've you've you've, you've given us your your version of that events but what is the future hold for, for Stefan Schrock and the family you, you planning on staying here long term do you see yourself moving back to Germany what's what's the plans for you moving forward I used to have like a sort of three to five years plan in in my life well Every time I did that, something, something, uh, some <laughs> accident or some whatever happened. But you grow it a long-term contract. Yeah, that you signed? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically, we were planning to stay for five to eight years yeah. at the club. Yeah. One, uh, one, uh, one and a half years in, they told me, "Hey, you can leave." So, so what would you like to do? Would you like to go into? I would coaching? love to. Yeah, I would yeah. love to be in and around football because I think what football gave to me. I'm just a random kid from a poor area in my hometown. So what football gave to me, it can give to the others. It can turn out well for someone. And why not having sharing or 
yeah, sharing and teaching the, the football things to the people here in the Philippines. We are made for football. Look at us. <laughs> five foot seven, five foot eight tall, quick. Everybody is quick. Everybody is skillful with the ball. And everybody loves to move. So this is things what Filipinos can do. Um, why competing in basketball when, when the other nations have like, what, two meter, <laughs> two meter, 20 guys in it? We can make or leave a mark in football. God made us this way, so why not making the best out of it? Football is always there. Like in the next five years, I'm trying to be in and around football for the longest, for, for whatever I can. I try to be in a coach or maybe I'm setting up an academy or something like for those underprivileged kids, giving them a chance to chase their dreams, giving them the chance to secure the family's future or helping out. Just helping out is enough already. That's, that's my plan. Brilliant. I mean, we, we've asked, I think we've covered a lot of ground yeah. in, in this interview. Um, I want to be quite respectful of your time because we, we've kind of spent a, a lot of time doing this interview. But is there anything that you that we've missed or anything that you want to bring up? And we haven't, we haven't even touched on the boat incident in the mortgage. Yeah. We haven't even touched upon that. So is, <laughs> there, any, is there anything that you want us to cover that we, that we haven't covered or you want to sort of shed light like, on something like, to like really, give a bit of insight to some of our fans? Probably top three moments with, uh, okay. with, with the, with the his, his Haskell's uh, career. Probably with the Haskell's so because it's, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, of course, that's the, that's the national team. A lot, a lot of uh, people are interested on your, you know, most memorable moments with the national team. No, besides being on the pitch with the Ascals, the most memorable moment to me, mm -hmm. honestly, was when we had to go to the game. It was the first group stage game we had against Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Maldives, uh, we had to take a boat to go to the stadium. And uh, it starts pouring, like <laughs> raining, storming. Literally, really, uh, on the sea, and we on a small, like what, ten seater yeah, boat yeah. or something. No, good for <laughs> good for thirty people. That way, it was quite. Uh, well, it's quite cramped packed, up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and then the waves, mid ocean, like halfway, the the waves got so big that the guy, who's responsible on the boat, I don't know if he was the captain or just some random guy. He said, "Hey, we have to transfer boat. The boat might not make it." And then, and I was looking like, "What? What, what did he say?" <laughs> The boat won't make it. What I mean, do you this mean? Is in, like? This is in total darkness as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, middle, I'm in oh the middle of the sea, total darkness. It was so dark. Oh my goodness! And then it, you s panic set in when the guy said, "Okay, just there's a boat coming. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> just use the wh what is it called? The the wooden thing. Yeah, the wooden steps. Yeah. Yeah. The wooden steps and uh, transfer to the other boat. And the boat is like just bouncing each at each other like it." It's impossible to even take one step on that wooden thing to transfer the boat, and then we without we without really falling off in, uh, in dangerous the, the waters. Yeah. You know? So I thought, okay, I sit here and this is it. I'm, I'm, I called my wife earlier, so the last words were actually nice. Uh, <laughs> this is it. But now we can laugh about it. But it was really scary. It was a really do scary remember, moment. Do you remember doing the prayer? Uh, yeah. Like one, so the, the boats are sort of crashing against each other. I remember mm. someone going. I think we should say a prayer. And we should, uh, normally, yeah. I'm all for a prayer, but that was, that was pretty morbid at that time. I think we all realized, oh my gosh, like, something serious could happen here. Yeah. yeah and, and, and after the prayer, you guys were singing. Everyone was singing, and then I had a video of that one. It, it pops up on my Facebook memories like every like, May, because it happened in May. Yeah. It's like, 
this really happened? And that, not even that, you had to play a game. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> we got on the boat. Yeah, we actually ended up getting on the boat. Um, no, we stayed on the boat. Sorry, so we stayed on the boat. So we stayed on the boat and we got transported to the main island, to which point everyone was seasick and. Like as soon as you guys stepped off, I remember Paul Mulder's throwing up. up. Yeah. You throwing yeah, up. Sick, yeah. Yeah. I never, I never knew what it's like to be seasick, but on that day yeah. I would experience it, and I will never forget it. You best believe that it was unbelievable, Re really unbelievable. And the the that boat, same boat, actually went back to the island and picked up the Afghanistan team. Yeah. <laughs> and kickoff was delayed for like a, an hour and a half, I think. Then, then yeah. the, I think uh, that's, that that ended in a in a goalless draw. Like everyone, I think, uh, didn't play to their best. I think. Do you remember what else happened in that that particular day? Do you remember? No. Do you remember oh, in the changing room, the locker room before? Oh the yeah, game? of course. When do you want to tell everyone about that? Uh, I think it was Rob. Rob organized a motivation kind of like video for us. So before we after the warm up, before we went to line up for the game. Uh, Rob turned off the lights, uh, the projector was showing the video and then there was family members and- uh, Friends. Friends, and family members, whoever was there, yeah. like literally for every player, someone had a message to say and uh, the music and- Clips. <laughs> clips <laughs> the and games, everything, yeah. <laughs> it got so emotional. So I was holding back for, like after 30 seconds, I was holding back my tears really, trying not to cry and then it's dark in the room you know and we're sitting we we all in that circle and then i hear someone go like this <laughs> i i just let go i was crying and everybody else was crying lights went on everybody teary eyes red eyes you can tell everybody was crying so after the game rob well, rob and you i think sat down and then i just randomly hear like you think it was a little bit too much? <laughs> like, yeah, it was a way too much before a game because the especially a game where we almost died on the way to, <laughs> this, to, to the stadium. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. But yeah. that was, uh, you know, if you go back to that, that was really a, an emotional tournament for a lot of people. Especially that was our first opportunity uh, going to the Asian Cup, yeah. and you know, I remember. You know, in the Maldives game, you you, you scored, mm -hmm. and then you know we won that in the, in the semifinal, and then in um, you know, Amani Aguinaldo, that was his, his breakout tournament, yeah. and then losing the final to uh, to Palestine, it was really difficult because Palestine had their own compelling story. Yeah, true. And you were we were actually neighbors on that uh, on that island right there. Like you, you your 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 cabin is here, and then. Uh, a couple of Palestinian players are on the other side, so you lost your boots there. <laughs> so. yeah, I lost, I lost a lot of things. <laughs> I lost a lot of things there, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was a that was a really great time, and that was very emotional after that. Yeah, it was. This is the things, like I said, that the memories you carry with the national team with the Ascals, it was, it was always outstanding when Rob was there still and. Uh, we up to now we're still looking for someone like Rob when he gives you the speech. Like, of course, everybody would know the preparation was not good and we're not. Everybody's a little bit tired or whatever, jet lagged from the travel. But once we step on the pitch, Rob gave his speech. Everybody was focused. Like, don't bitch around about the small issues we have. He would point out how the average Filipino lives 
and how the overseas workers sacrifice and he will always find a good uh, a good speech to us so everybody will be like okay we we don't have the right to complain about for the next 90 minutes we just give it our all and then uh, hopefully get the win wow um, we missed Rob. We might have Rob here next time. We should time. get Rob on, yeah. Yeah. We uh, should. Maybe we will be, we'll be, be in tears before this I show know. is over. Too emotional. <laughs> but I think that's a good story to finish on. Yeah. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the, on the show. It's some incredible insights. I mean, I, I, again, I've known you for a long time, but some of the some of the backstories to, to your own personal journey was incredible, and I'm sure... Um, I'm sure the listeners are going to really enjoy that, as, as we have too. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Shrock. I've interviewed so so many times already, but uh, I didn't know that your dad was a boxer. Like, <laughs> and then uh, there's a lot of stuff uh, covered, and of course, we all have the same hope for for Philippine football. Yeah, well, thanks for having us for having us uh, come and see us today. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, and um, we wish you all the best with uh, with the rest of the season. Thank you very much. It was an uh, unusual interview, kind of like, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank it you. It was a tell-all act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you always ask the same questions on game days. That's why we have it. We have this podcast. So yeah. that's, uh, that's uh, an area we can explore. Right. Brilliant. Thank Thanks, you. mate. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for catching Across the Line. If you want us to continue doing more episodes, subscribe to us on YouTube, download our episodes on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Also, drop a comment para tuloy-tuloy itong Across the Line.